Welcome to the AWP podcast series. This event was recorded at the 2012 AWP conference in Chicago. The recording features Kona Morris, Lena Rogan Roper, Tom Mazuka, and Robert Shepard. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Flash Fiction, How and Why to Teach It. Um, and just a quick announcement, we've had a couple panelists who unfortunately can't be here. Ch- uh, Kim Chinque and Jane Ann Phillips, unfortunately, neither of them are able to be here today. Um, but it is my honor to introduce the rest of our distinguished panelists. Tom Hazuka was the co-editor of the first collection to ever use the term flash fiction, so we can hear a little bit about that. In 1992, uh, along with James Thomas, who we're thrilled to have in our audience today, Um, Tom is also the co-editor of the new anthology, uh, Sudden Flash Youth. Robert Shepard is the co-editor of the flash fiction Forward and Sudden Fiction Anthology series from Norton, also with James Thomas. He has taught flash fiction in introductory, upper division, and graduate level courses. Leah Rogan Roper is a co-founder and editor of Fast Forward Press, a publishing company dedicated to compressed forms of literature. She teaches at Arapahoe Community College in Littleton, Colorado. And I am Kona Morris, also from Fast Forward Press, as well as the Community College of Denver. Uh, So Tom Hazuka will be starting us off. Go ahead. Something very important occurs to me. I just walked over from the Palmer House and didn't head to the bathroom or look in a mirror. So I'm wondering what my hair looks like. I mean, is it it passable? I really, I don't know. know, should I do it like that? I mean, I have no idea. It might, you might be holding back, going, oh, I'm trying not to laugh. Or maybe it just looks windswept and cool. Yeah. Um, I have a quick question for you guys. Um, there are a few things that we want, uh, that we'll probably have time to do that we didn't expect to do, uh, because this is AWP after all, but I just wanted to... How many of you folks really are interested in, in this from the uh, perspective of teaching flash fiction in a writing, you know, and how many of you are more from the, you know, the lit? Here, here are some stories and let's look at them. Or are you doing kind of both in the writing classes? That's probably most of us, right? Yeah, the two hands up. That's, so, okay, we'll try to do both. Uh, I was, at first, I didn't think there was a chance we would have time to do this. But uh, since a few folks got... That looks good. So, <laughs> since a few folks got sick or couldn't make it, I'm going to try something later if we have time, and I think we will do see how many people can get in, uh, involved and try to explain something that I haven't really figured out, and maybe together we can do it. Um, so we'll see, see if we have to, It has to do with point of view, but I'm supposed to talk about um, style and structure, so I'll do that first. Never go over your allotted time, <laughs> <clears throat> even when folks don't show up. Okay, in... Um, I think it was 1989, we, uh, James and Denise Thomas and I and a, a few other folks were trying to put together the first uh, flash fiction book. And in the process, uh, something happened. Uh, I can't speak for James, but I know this happened to me. I thought that in, 
in the reading of approximately 5,000 stories, to call it down to the 72 that got in the book, that I would figure out certain things about structure in the, in the short short and what we came to call flash fiction and what lots of other people call flash fiction these days. And I didn't. And I don't think anybody else has either. I'd defy any. I'd love to hear if anybody else has, but I'm not smart enough to do it. And I actually wrote something for a... a it's an introduction to a chapter in um, a Behind the Short Story, um, a, a textbook. And I figured that I, if I tried to just do this and say it extemporaneously, it won't be as good as this thing that I revised several times. So I'm going to read this part, but I'll try to read it in an unboring fashion. <laughs> but we all like to read, right? We, this, just consider this little part a, 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 a mini reading that's not fiction. Okay, the... I didn't find the pattern, so there's a, a chapter, a chapter, a paragraph that leads, leads into what I'm going to read, and the paragraph is two words. It says, they didn't. The only thing every story had in common was its length, which led me to a conclusion I hadn't foreseen. The shorter the story, the less a writer can rely on or fall into the trap of copying predictable patterns. I hadn't seen this coming at all. In flash fiction or microfiction, the 250-word maximum um, subgenre of flash fiction, it's virtually impossible to write a formulaic story, which is pretty cool, because there's no set form or structure for fiction this brief. Even if you tried to write a genre story, a mystery or a romance of, um, let's say, 500 words, readers would take your story as a form of metafiction, a comment on the genre rather than a piece of genre fiction itself. And that's what you would be doing, trying to create something new, expanding possibilities rather than conforming to the predictable expectations of a genre. Now, if you want to take uh, 10 seconds or so and think about trying to write a detective story in 500 words or um, even one of the, the vampire stories, see, maybe you could get rich <laughs> writing a a 750-word vampire love story. I don't think anybody would... Well, anyway, you can give that a shot. Um, you can also give, you can give some thought to my idea and um, let me know in the Q&A or whatever if, if, if you think I don't know what I'm talking about. But this is what I came up with. So I'm not claiming at all that structure doesn't exist. What I'm claiming is that any story of this length must discover its own structure with little help from established models. I mean, you really have nothing to go on, but I've got 500 words, or I've got 750, or 1,000, or whatever it happens to be. And here's the style part. I'm going to go back and forth a bit now. And style is part of that discovery process. The stru structure and style are, are connected with the short short, well, with any piece. But uh, this is true of all fiction writing, but the shorter the story, the more heightened the effect and the more demanding the writer's job. Uh, quick question. How many of you have assigned, say, a 250-word story to students and they think, well, cool, that's short. And then they come back, damn, that's hard. <laughs> I thought it was going to be simple. And probably most of us at, at one time or another, and the first time I entered the world's best short, short story competition, that was why I, at, at, at Florida State, that's why I wrote a 251, because I wanted to win $100 in a case of oranges. <laughs> <laughs> And so I started writing one for that contest every year. I bet I'm not the only one in this room who's done that. 
And, and I said, damn, this is hard. Uh, the first draft, I would always come in at, I don't know, 480 words or something. Then it's like, okay, how do I crunch this down to 250 to be able to enter it? Okay, shorter might seem easier, but it's tough to write a satisfying story in so few words. Okay, everybody knows that. You need to do a lot in a small space, and that means making each word count. The best short, short stories display the charged and resonant language of poetry while also managing to tell a story, and this is indeed a challenge, and you all know that as well. Okay. These are well-worn pieces of paper. Nice and... Nice and crinkly. Here's the teaching part that I wanted to talk about briefly. When it comes down to, I'm trying to think of a way to say this, it isn't a cliche. I almost said brass tacks, but I didn't. Um, when it comes down to the doing, I'll just, I'll just leave it at that, of, of, of teaching a, a short, short story. You're dealing with structure and you're dealing with style. I... I think that the students will take more away long-term, short-term, period, take more away from the discussion of style than they will the discussion of structure. Um, the discussion of structure, I think, is super interesting, but as far as the, the takeaway, it'll be just, for the most part, what I know about it, which is what I just said. You know, you have to find your own structure in every... I can't, you can't say, okay, guys, remember this. All there is really to remember is everyone's going to be different. There aren't, there aren't formulas that you can use. Style, on the other hand, well, that's one of the great things about teaching flash fiction. You get to, you get to deal with so many different kinds of style. In one class, you can read the entire story, or you can say, I've done this a number of times. Sometimes, okay, we're going to read the entire piece, because after all, it doesn't take that long. The only reason it takes longer is because I keep stopping after every sentence and say, isn't that wonderful? And, you know, let's talk about how wonderful it is. And um, sometimes they agree and sometimes they're like, finish the story. And you probably know that feeling too. And you get all excited about it. Sometimes I stop in the middle of a sentence. Can you believe that word? What a great word. And they're rolling their eyes. And, you know, well, you all know that feeling too, probably. Um, and any of my students here, then they would know also that feeling of me starting to have, go on a digression and forgetting what I was talking about. I know it, <laughs> I know it had to do with style, so I'll, I'll go back there. And when you, when you deal... I wasn't expecting to have this time and this luxury, but you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to read some things. I'm going to read a few pieces. They're, they're real short. I'm not going to read the whole piece. Just gonna, and, and you're going to like it. <laughs> so here's the... I'm going to... Before we move on to style, after I just said, well, that's, that's the way to go, I want to read a story that illustrates a bit of what I mean about structure. I mean, you can just point out to students, hey, this is doing something different. And feel free to do something different. Feel free to experiment. It's something that I, I think the, if you have to, if I had to put an adjective on the flash fiction genre, and I only got one, I mean, outside of short. I mean, short, forget short. I think I would say, I think I would use playful. You can just, you, you play, even if it turns into a serious story. It's a, it's a playful genre. So you can agree or disagree with that, but that, that's, I'll put that one out. Okay, here's an, an unusual structure for a short story piece, or a flash fiction piece. 
And some of you might know it. This is from the You Have Time for This anthology that um, I edited a few years ago. And it's by Bruce Taylor. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm going to digress for a brief second here. If there are any folks that are in, um, either uh, who have stories and you have time for this, or uh, Sudden Flash Youth, um, please come up and say hi to me and, and sign my copies. It's like a yearbook, you know. But, but. Okay, this story is called Exercise. Take a story from real life, one you are having trouble focusing. Cut the story in half. Cut it in half again. What you're left with is the essentials of the story you will be able to see more clearly. Parenthetically, 257 words. They have said nothing to each other for weeks except what matters to the day, the children, the budget, or the dog. He is upstairs at his office window. She is reading in a chaise longue in the shade some book her recently widowed mother gave her. She sighs, he imagines, at how it was an easy mistake for a young girl to make, a less likely error, perhaps, for a man so much older. Who remembers mostly a white dress, a waist your hands could fit around, the scent of juicy fruit and noxema? When he asks what's wrong, she always says she's happy. The only thing is, if he were sometimes a little happier, a little more often, too, What she thinks of him now, he doesn't even know, but fears it's so much less than what she thought at first, when he was what he can't imagine now, and obviously isn't to her now, and why and why? In the grief of his fifties, hard liquor sits him down to pray. They treat each other as tenderly, at least as they treat a relative or friend, a needy stranger, or the obligatory guest. Whatever it is they might be discussing escapes to the underside of the birch leaves in the gathering breeze. The lights across the river are brighter and seem more distant than the stars. The swallows give way to the bats, and a tiny spider spins at the ruined screen, a web someone less desperate might be tempted to take as a metaphor. 128 words. They have said nothing to each other for weeks except what matters to the day, the children, the budget, or the dog. He is upstairs at his office window. She sighs, he imagines, at where love has led her and how it was an easy mistake for a young girl to make. He remembers a white dress, a waist your hands could fit around, the scent of juicy fruit and noxema. He wants to ask her what she remembers. They treat each other as tenderly, at least as they treat a relative or friend, a needy stranger, or the obligatory guest. Whatever it is they might be discussing escapes to the underside of the birch leaves. The lights across the river are brighter and seem more distant than the stars. 63 words. They have said nothing to each other for weeks except what matters to the day. She sighs at where love has led her. He remembers a white dress. They treat each other as they'd treat a stranger. Whatever they might be discussing escapes to the underside of the birch leaves. The lights across the river are brighter and more distant than the stars. Okay, that story is called Exercise. Which one did you like the best? The last one. (laughs) Next to last, the middle one. The penultimate one. Uh, 
here's where it gets real interesting when I teach this story. Is it fair to like the last one the best? No. <laughs> I mean, it's super interesting. You know what's cool? You, you might want to teach this story sometime, but read the shortest one first. Because you, I'm in the camp of, hey, that last one is really cool. It's amazing how much, how much is contained in those 60, was it 63 words. But after all, my brain read some backstory what, a minute before, so it, it's kind of cheating, because I, I know that as well. So anyway, this story, you could talk all, all class. We could talk the rest of the time on, uh, on exercise, but we, we won't. But I love that piece. So uh, if you have any questions about that later on. Um, and then I just wanted to mention a few other um, structure stories that are interesting. A lot of people know uh, Jamaica Kincaid's Girl. There's an interesting structure, right? It's, a, it's just a monologue, except with two almost choked little responses from the, the girl who, who gets in a few words edgewise against her mother's diatribe, tirade, whatever you want to call it. And the mother, of course, pays no attention to those few words. So that, that's, a, that's a very interesting one. I mean, it's one sentence that goes on for, I don't know, two, three pages. So that, that's a very cool structure. Um, oh, yeah, right here. Another one that I wanted to mention, how's my time going? Oh, I'm getting bad already, sorry. <laughs> all right, I'll only mention one of the others then. Um, all right, I'll mention both. I won't go into them. There's a story called Subtotals in Flash Fiction that is nothing but a list of stuff. And so it's very interesting to ask yourself, well, is that a, is that a story? Obviously, we thought so. We put it in the book. But it, as far as structure goes, um, just a list, that's the entire story, that's very unusual. I mean, Tim O'Brien did, uh, in The Things They Carried, he has a lot of lists in it, but it's not just lists. This is nothing but a list. And then the, the last one I wanted to mention, and I am actually going to read it, if that's okay, because we all agreed that it's one of our favorite stories. We just love this piece. And uh, we have put, it's been in a number of books. Um, we put it in um, Sudden Flash Youth, so that's the most recent place it's been. And it is Hannah Bottomy Voskel's Currents. And when I read it, you'll see this, I mean, the structure is uh, immediately apparent. Well, it, you'll see. Gary drank single malt in the night, out on the porch that leaned toward the ocean. His mother, distracted, had shut off the floodlights, and he did not protest against the dark. Before that, his mother, Josie, tucked in her two shivering 12-year-old granddaughters. I want you both to go swimming first thing tomorrow. Can't have two seals like you afraid of the water. Before that, one of the girls held the hand of a wordless Filipino boy. His was the first hand she'd ever held. They were watching the paramedics lift the boy's dead brother into an ambulance. At this time, the other girl heaved over a toilet in the cabana. Before that, the girl who would feel nauseated watched as the drowned boy's hand slid off the stretcher and bounced along the porch rail. Nobody placed the hand back on the stretcher, and it bounced and dragged and bounced. Before that, Gary saw the brown hair sink and resurface as the body bobbed. At first, he mistook it for seaweed. Before that, 
35 people struggled out of the water at the Coast Guard's command. A lifeguard shouted over jet ski motors about the increasing strength of the riptide. Before that, the 35 pe- before that, the 35 people, including Gary and the two girls, formed a human chain and trolled the waters for the body of a Filipino boy. The boy had gone under 20 minutes earlier and never come back up. Before that, a lifeguard sprinted up the beach, shouting for volunteers. The two girls, resting lightly on their sandy bodyboards, stood up to help. Before that, a Filipino boy pulled on the torpid lifeguard's ankle and gestured desperately at the waves. My brother, he said. Before that, it was a simple summer day. Uh, that's just good stuff. I mean, we talk about style, we can talk about structure, we can just do salams, you know, whatever. That's, that's good stuff. Um, I guess I'm just going to um, end my section on a bit of a, a, a pep talk, I suppose. Um, Leah's going to talk about how to get the uh, administrative folks to want to do it. That's going to be part of her presentation anyway. And I, I just think flash fiction is the, is the perfect medium for, uh, um, for examining fictional style because you can do so many different, check out so many different styles. And as I say, you can do the whole story, no problem. Or you can do parts of a number of stories, no problem, and say, look, here are all these different ones. Um, and if we have time later on, I'm sure we won't, but I've got some, some first paragraphs that I'd love to read. But... I'm uh, being a time hog now, and I'm going to retreat. Thank you. (laughs) Uh, So next up is Robert. And uh, just briefly before he comes up, um, I just wanted to mention the handout that's on your chairs. Uh, And there's some more, there's some extras on all these empty chairs over here if you didn't get one. But on one side, we listed some recommendations, uh, anthologies, uh, specific stories. Both of the ones that uh, Tom read are on there. Um, And on the other side, we listed a list of exercises, um, prompts that you can use either for yourself as a writer or in the classroom. Uh, And one of those is... um, a uh, is part of the current story is to use that structure uh, to get your students to write a story backwards, which I've done, and it's usually very successful. Um, so anyway, uh, here comes Robert. Hi, I'm Robert Shepard. I'm not going to play for time. I think uh, I'm just going to go ahead with my my plan here. Uh, I, I saw there was a panel on uh, novel writing uh, in classes. <laughs> uh, I'm kind of curious about that. I think flash fiction is, uh, it was always so hard for fiction writers to get in a class on novel writing. You know, you're working with stuff that's in progress and, you know, messing with the, somebody's process and... Um, well, I won't go into there's a lot of reasons. It made it too cumbersome. Uh, so it became the short story for fiction workshops. Uh, but the traditional longer ones, you know, 20, 25 pages sometimes, um, it's good if you can get two from a student. You, a lot of times, a lot of courses I've seen, you only get one. Uh, 
And uh, you try to fill in a little early, maybe with some best American short stories or something to read a little bit, because writers read, you know. <laughs> and uh, uh, how to get that across is it's difficult to do even in a short story workshop sometimes, especially later in the semester stuff. Manuscripts pile up, and you're reading, but it's a little bit different kind of reading. Flash fiction is so wonderful for that that you're, uh, you can, right from the very beginning, <clears throat> read as writers do, picking things apart, looking what you really like, talking about it. They really get energized with that, I think, students. And uh, I've used it in a number of courses, beginning creative writing, uh, a dedicated Flash fiction course. Has anybody taught a flash, uh, dedicated flash fiction course? Ooh, okay. I'm really surprised. Um, it's sometimes it's hard to get those. That's not, and that's something else to talk about. How do you get it past your uh, to the committees that be and so on? How do you pitch it to get a flash fiction? Give it. How do you get them to respect it? Um, but um, uh, anyway, I've done that also graduate course, so there should be some questions. All right, so, uh, but uh, Kona asked me to talk about prompts, so I want to talk about prompts. Uh, this may be pretty, since you're all teaching it already, this may be pretty basic, but um, that's, maybe there'll be some argument about it. So there are a million of them, prompts, on the web. Uh, I'm just going to use two, uh, refer to two uh, print books. Um, so that uh, if you want to go back and find some examples, it'll be easy. The uh, Rose Metal Press Field Guide to Writing Flash Fiction and um, B.J. Holler's You Must Be This Tall to Ride, which is not strictly flash fiction, but there are about ten of them in there that are short enough to be flash fiction. So uh, when Kona asked for prompts, I thought of uh, some questions that have troubled me over the years. One, is there really such a thing as a flash prompt? Um, a lot of them could be for longer works. Uh, they're really only flash because at the end of the prompt, it says write the story in 500 words or less or whatever. Uh, two, why do so many flash prompts seem to be for traditional stories? Uh, at least maybe those ones that I noticed. But uh, isn't flash a kind of non-traditional form? Um, and three, what kind of prompt should I use for my class? Um, all prompts have two parts, uh, or they should have, the idea and the development. Uh, but a lot I see are all development. Uh, others are all idea. So let me answer this question first, or try to sort it out. Um, to me, ideas, the ideas are either impromptu, which I guess makes them part of an impromptu prompt, or hatched. Uh, by impromptu, I mean the teacher gives the student an idea and they have to write on it. Or if the students have to come up with their own idea, it'll take them less than a minute to do that. The advantage of an impromptu prompt is uh, they can be done in class with no prep. Uh, that's a boon for desperate teachers. Uh, they emphasize ingenuity and often demonstrate the uh, spontaneous depth and power that can be drawn from language. Uh, with a lot of impromptu prompts, there's almost no distance between idea and development. So here's some examples. Uh, Vanessa Gebby gives the class a line from a poem, and they have 15 minutes to write a flash. So that's almost an idea. 
the development is basically just right like crazy. Um, Bruce Holland Rogers, maybe you've uh, heard loves the fixed forms uh, like uh, word loops where the last word of each sentence is the first word of the next. Uh, that one's all development uh, for the idea the student has to think of an opening line. I think he probably gives them 30 seconds maybe to think that. Um, Pamela Painter, a lot of people will know her. Uh, she has that alternating voice exercise. It's, a, it's like a perpetual prompt machine. Um, you think of two people, uh, maybe a husband and wife. Um, they're having a minor argument over something like lost keys. Um, and often that kind of turns into something more. So he says, just put the keys in the same place every time. And she says, it's not that easy. He says, what? Retrace your steps. What good is that if, well, you get the idea. It's going to, one line prompts the next line of dialogue. Um, that could be true for a lot of fiction and novels. And the mother of all impromptu prompters may have been Chekhov who claimed you could give him anything like an ice tray and he could use it to come up with a story by the next day. Um, some web prompts are like that. And I'm on a web all the time. I'm not knocking it. But, uh, but I don't know. I don't feel good about telling a class, write a story about a shoe. Uh, I always want to add something like, write a story about a shoe on fire. At least that's it's got conflict. <laughs> um, but then I always imagine a student in the back muttering, what the fuck? <laughs> so I prefer uh, hatched uh, ideas because they come from the students themselves. Hatched as in uh, birds uh, or fish, they're, they're hatched too, or uh, <laughs> iridescent insects. Uh, or plots or flashes. Uh, they all take a little while. The first step is gathering these weird little eggs wherever you find them, which are stray thoughts, memories, bits of conversation, or movies, or dreams, or tabloids, or song lyrics. Uh, keeping a journal trains you to be alert for them. Otherwise, uh, as Don Marl has said, most inspiration vanishes before it's recognized. Um, I asked Don, how do, you, how do you know that if it's already vanished? And he couldn't, you know, I've never thought, I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> not every bit, of course, is uh, an inspiration. Uh, but think about it. This is what some people uh, come to college for, uh, to find their own ideas and to make something, if stories if not sense, of their lives. So the second step in hatching is to brood on these weird little eggs, uh, brooding is not done in class. Students should go away and now and then uh, ruminate on their bits, uh, but they shouldn't be too eager to uh, interpret them. Um, there's a psychologist, Ira Progoff, that says images are best. Uh, and images are used very broadly. To, most bits are kind of images. Uh, best, they're best not thought but beheld, kind of like that. Uh, some images fade, yeah, they're forgettable, others don't go away. Uh, it's one of those that hatches when you tell the class, okay, open your journal, select an image or a scrap of memory. Um, okay, for hatched prompts, the development parts uh, tend to be less prescriptive, uh, a little bit looser than the impromptu prompts. 
one of the more common and best ways, to my mind, to develop hashed ideas is just to pose and answer basic story questions. Uh, for example, one of my own flashes hatched from a, a dream image uh, of a baby born with tattoos, and I asked myself, well, how could this happen? Um, who would care? Uh, what might be at stake? Etc. Uh, Amy Bender, and you must be the stall to ride, has similar questions about a dreamlike painting of a woman, uh, women, I should say, mending tigers, sewing up their stripes. And she asked, who would want a job mending tigers? Uh, the ti <laughs> tigers were split along the stripes. Uh, how did that happen? And what did it mean? Uh, later she decides, all right, a young woman wants the job of mending tigers, but uh, she isn't allowed to have it. Why not? And just, you know, question after question, and so on. Uh, Stuart Dybeck, another very well-known name in, in short, short fiction, he takes a shortcut to development with a kind of uh, prefab framework. Uh, he says, select a bit of memory, uh, then start with an opening description and shift into a second character or, and to dialogue. And that's really where you get into, that's what makes it a story. And then just think of a good line for a closing. Uh, he usually likes a good dialogue line, but it could be a narrative or something else. There are also ways to shorten the uh, hatching idea. And a really good one is the prompt by Jane Ann Phillips. And I was so looking forward to Jane Ann. <laughs> and I wanted to ask her about this prompt. But uh, she writes about it in, that, in the field guide very well. She has students bring in a photo from their parents' wedding. Uh, she has them write a one-page description of it, simply. Uh, but first, she's been showing them how to write poetic, evocative prose, as you can imagine, Jane Ann Wood. The photo is like, like a memory. Uh, it's, you know, it's a rich history that they know and they feel, but they weren't part of it. So that's a space for them to write. Uh, for me, identifying prompts as either impromptu or hatched helps me to manage class time. Uh, reminds me of what I want my students to learn. And I use both kinds. Um, their favorite over the years is, that's a really simple one, but it really gets them, they just start writing like crazy on this. Uh, and I ask them to think of a character not like themselves. Uh, it could be, they could be somebody very different, could be in gender or age or, or whatever, it doesn't, it doesn't matter, but not like themselves. Uh, and then I ask them questions about that character, and I give them a minute or two to uh, respond. Uh, sometimes this is in the latter part of class, they're not going to finish everything, but it's got their ideas going, and uh, later, weeks later, when I say, what was the thing you liked the best, and that was, that was the best one. Uh, so it got them going. So I asked them about that character. What do you, your character, want more than anything in the world? And they think about this for a while, and they write. And, and I say, I'm sorry, you can't have it. Uh, <laughs> why not? And they're kind of crestfallen for a second. And then I start writing even more on that. And that pretty much got them going. But then I usually do add, uh, in the, at the last, your character does get it after all. 
how, you know. So that's going to take them along. Uh, Peter Orner has uh, a variation that runs something like this. It's think of something this character would never do or could never do or would, doesn't matter. Uh, and then imagine them doing it. Uh, but you've got to give them a little time there to think, you know, what they would never do because um, you don't want to be too fast with saying, then, okay, imagine, you know, imagine them doing it. Um, okay, that might be a special subcategory like character prompts, uh, like Robert Olin Butler's classic flash fiction prompt. And this would be one that would be one of those that, is this really a flash fiction prompt? But um, it is. He says, write about two characters who are both yearning for something. They should be in a relationship, uh, romantic or uh, family, social, whatever. And their needs should be in opposition. And then you add to that a background foil, like the World Trade Center going up in flames in the distance. Um, okay, in closing, uh, I want to answer my opening two questions. One is, uh, is it really a flash prompt if it can be used for longer work? Uh, yes, because uh, most ideas don't have size. They're, <laughs> they're like the universe. They start at a point, and they can expand, and presum presumably they can shrink. Uh, they're recyclable. Uh, James Joyce's novel Ulysses first existed as a short story. Uh, Ian McMillan's um, award-winning novel Proud Monster started from a flash fiction. So, two, um, is it okay if a prompt seems traditional even if the flash is, uh, a flash is non-traditional? Yes, because all literary forms share traits. Uh, for example, Marilyn Chin uh, has a argues very well that all forms, whether novel or brief lyric poem, uh, have uh, conflict. Uh, Kim Chinkwe, uh, <laughs> in The Field Guide, she says flash fictions have plots, just as longer stories do, except, uh, and this will speak to Tom saying uh, there, there's no form, particular form, she says the plots come out in uh, non-traditional ways. They're presented in uh, some element like voice or point of view or language. And that's the rest of the course, <laughs> um, getting into those things. Uh, finally, I want to add a mega prompt. This is actually James, uh, a boiled down version. James can deny this if he wants to, but um, uh, or add to it at some point. The mega prompt, which is, uh, the, uh, James has said is the best and most obvious one, and that's to have your class read uh, flash fiction anthology. You get them reading on it right away, and they can, they can discover everything there, uh, the non-traditional strategies, the developments, the ideas, all of that, uh, all in one place. Uh, it's worked really well for me to have uh, classes uh, read a couple from an anthology and then read manuscripts also in the same if you're in a Tuesday, Thursday class. Uh, you can work in several uh, things like that. Um, the grad course, just had them read like crazy and uh, write like crazy. And they love just that interaction, reading as writers and trying it out themselves. And um, um, I've had 
good success working into uh, sophomore lit classes, all kinds of things like that. Uh, there's got to be room for a quote before I end from, uh, uh, I guess it was Samuel Beckett about, you can fail better uh, writing flash fiction because you know, you know, okay, a couple of pages, you give it a valiant effort. Man, did that crash and burn. But, you know, I've got another, I can try another one pretty soon. And uh, they get to do something right away um, as opposed to the maybe wonderful but agonizing working on techniques all the way up to producing a, <laughs> a longer story um, that maybe takes them weeks, uh, holds them back and away for weeks. Fly as you get get started right away. Okay, thank you. Okay, next up we have Leah Rogan Roper. Hi, how's the sound out there? Okay. All right, so. I'm coming from a place of negativity and rejection, which I think is a fine place to come from as a writer, but as a professor, not so much. And I say that because I, after much campaigning, um, was allowed to put a flash fiction course on the schedule for this semester at my school. And I do teach at a large community college. I know that's not a traditional place to necessarily have a flash fiction course, but we're one of the few community colleges in the country that actually offers an AA in creative writing. And so I wanted to kind of talk about ultimately failing to get this class to fill and some of my theories about that, but also how I can learn from it and help you learn from it if you're trying to get flash fiction on the agenda at your particular college, how you can work with administration, how you can market it to students, and hopefully um, succeed in that. So I wanted to go through a few of the ways that I approached it, and I think there's some helpful things to think about, some helpful things to learn, and also I want to just kind of talk about the way administration in my school and probably many of your schools as well views flash fiction and how we can maybe change that perspective of it not just being sort of a light, fluffy thing that students shouldn't be focusing on. So in my school, um, some of the ways that I approached marketing it, so I think it's, it's one of those things where as writers we feel like we shouldn't have to market, we just want to be creative. And what we find is that's not true, right? Everybody knows that if you want to get your writing out there, you have to be willing to market it. And the same as a professor, I think I feel like I just want to teach. I don't feel like I should have to be in the business of marketing my courses. But in fact, if you want things to go like a flash fiction class, you have to think about how you're going to market it effectively. And so there's some of the basic strategies that you can think about. One is um, streamlining courses so that if you want to teach a flash fiction class one semester, maybe you teach a creative writing class or something more basic the semester before so that you're able to funnel students effectively into your flash fiction course. There's some of the obvious things like putting up posters, advertising, reaching out to the community of students who you think it will appeal to, appeal to as well. At my school, I also um, marketed it to community ed, so I had a lot of people who were really excited about it in our community 
that weren't traditional students at our school, and we have a huge community ed program. So that's another way that you can think about reaching out to not just students, but people outside the student population. I also marketed it as a great books course. So we're also one of the few community colleges that has a great books program that a lot of our courses are taught under. And so there's a big network of students that take great books courses. And what that means is that 50% or so of your writers have to come from a designated great books list, which is surprisingly easy to do with flash fiction. It's because it actually uses quite a few canonical writers. So that was another strategy that I took, was marketing it as a great books course as well. One of the um, problems that I ran into, and one of the things that I think we've been discussing as a panel, and is really interesting to think about, is should flash fiction be its own course? And I'm not convinced that it should, so I'm interested in hearing more discussion around that, because it also links to the question, is flash fiction its own genre, which we have diverse opinions about even on this panel. And many people that we've talked to are actually teaching fiction courses as flash fiction, essentially. I think Tom maybe touched on that. So that we're not really asking students to write 25-page stories, typically, in undergraduate fiction classes, at least. We're actually asking for things that are around 1,000 words or under often. And so maybe flash fiction shouldn't be its own course, because so many of us are treating fiction classes at the undergraduate levels as flash fiction in a lot of ways. So I'm interested in that and interested in kind of what's going on there and if it's something that's worth having a bigger conversation about. So I think the, the those are some of my just kind of simple strategies that you have to market, you have to get your posters and flyers out there, you have to appeal to the student population, you have to, I even use social networking tools like Facebook, our school's Facebook pages and our writer studio Facebook pages and went to events where people were reading and had flyers distributed about the class and for this particular class my dean told me 12 students, it's not going without 12 students and I got nine students signed up for it by the week before classes started but it was still canceled even with a week to go because um, the, the 12 weren't there, even though it was awfully close. So I think thinking about how you can get a few extra students, you can also reach out to the students who you do have signed up and see if they have people who would be interested in joining them in the class, and those sorts of things can be helpful. But I think the bigger issue is how we can change the school's mentality about flash fiction. So I think a lot of deans and administration see flash fiction as a fluffy course, and they don't see it as real. And they, they often, if they're not reading flash fiction themselves, which I don't know about your administrators and deans, but I don't think my administrator is reading flash fiction. So I think um, considering how to change that mentality about what flash fiction is, it's not just some fluffy light course that um, we want to teach because we don't feel like reading real short stories. We're too lazy to read something long. So I wanted to talk about that a little bit. Let me rearrange here slightly. So I, I do feel strongly that flash fiction courses are worth fighting for, although maybe it's just under the guise of a fiction class. And I know that Robert had some interesting perspectives on how you can market it differently as not necessarily a flash fiction course, but um, a fiction course that has a focus on flash fiction, perhaps. But some of the other things that I want to get across are just some of the reasons why it's not just a trend, it's not just fluffy, it's not just um, something that's not worthwhile. So 
One thing that deans at my school like are um, connecting things to our school goals. And one of our school goals, and probably most of your school has a similar goal that has to do with diversity or social justice or something along those lines, which I think flash fiction lends itself to really nicely. The Sudden Fiction Latino collection that um, these guys put together is a whole collection of Latino flash fiction writers, for example. And there's an awful lot of other writers out there that appeal to kind of multicultural perspectives. You know, someone mentioned Jamaica Kincaid, and um, of course, there's a huge range of writers who are writing in flash fiction who it's easy to connect in terms of diversity and social justice and things that are buzzwords with administration. So I think that's one one thing to think about. I think the other thing also, though, is that... um, there is actually a really rich history and canon behind flash fiction. So when I talked about connecting it to the Great Books course, it's because it's really easy to say, you know, I'm going to teach Hemingway, I'm going to teach Faulkner, I'm going to teach um, Margaret Atwood, I'm going to teach all of these writers who are on our Great Books list, and it is more than just fluff. And if you if you look back in history, um, you can connect flash fiction back a thousand years or more if you're looking at Chaucer and Boccaccio as kind of original flash fiction writers. And so, in fact, I think thinking of it as just this trend that's happening um, is false. And so even looking at it as what's been called flash fiction traditionally, it's been around for 35 years or more at this stage. So um, it's not, I I feel like it's outlasted a lot of literary trends and will continue to because it's more than just some flash-in-the-pan kind of thing. Um, Sorry for the bad pun. So I'll, I'll kind of wrap things up, but that's, that's what I mostly wanted to focus on are some of the strategies that you can use to move your administration into considering why flash fiction is worthwhile. And I do feel like it's, it's something that if um, we can work on as a pedagogical team that's out there saying this is something that you should take seriously, it's something that's here to stay, and also working on some of these marketing strategies that will help convince administrators, hopefully, that it can be seen as more of a tre- more than a trend. And I took, in graduate school, I was lucky to take a class that focused on flash fiction, and it really changed my perspective of what writing was and what my writing was. And I think we've talked about some of the reasons and I think Kona will talk more about some of the reasons why it's so appealing to students today. And so I do feel like it's a strong thing to continue to fight for. Thank you. So um, I will be talking a little bit about the practicality and application of using flash fiction in the classroom. But before I do, I wanted to say... Um, that a great way to get students to understand the quality of good flash fiction is to start off a class, either whether or not it's a unit of flash fiction in a creative writing class or its own course, um, with an example of how much can happen in such a short amount of space. Um, One of the things that I use uh, in my classes uh, is this story called Ashes by Albert Garcia Elena. It's in the Fast forward uh, collection, The Incredible Shrinking Story. And I tell my students, this is 42 words long. And watch what can happen. I recall the day that, in kindergarten, we made a clay ashtray for Father's Day. 
With a toothpick, I wrote the name of mine, Vincent. When I handed it to him, he told me he didn't smoke, gave me a condescending pat on my shoulder, and tossed it in the trash. I remember all of this as I throw the cremation box into the first garbage bin I see after leaving the funeral home. I don't smoke either. So I think that's a great example of, you know, an entire world that could be fit in 42 words. It's so tiny you could hardly see it on the page. Um, And when I show my students something like that, I think it really starts to make them see the possibilities. It's, you know, in order for a flash fiction piece to be successful, it's more than just a short amount of space. It has to do in a short amount of space what longer stories do with however many pages they use. Um, It has to stand up against those longer stories and be great literature. Uh, That's something I talked about in the introduction to that book, uh, that the tools of ambiguity and implication, that's really what we have with flash fiction because we have to make more happen with less words. We have to, you know, use the invisible space of not having a backstory and jumping right into it. Raymond Carver's piece, Popular Mechanics, is a phenomenal example of that. Starting off, uh, it, it almost feels like it's the end of a two, three hundred page novel where you've already learned the story of why these two people fell in love and they had a baby and fell out of love. And here it just starts at this final moment in their relationship where, you know, they're just literally tearing each other apart, if anybody knows that story. But you should, definitely. That's another great story that students just react to. Um, But in addition to the how uh, to teach flash fiction that we've been talking about with the prompts and talking about style and structure and uh, the question of whether or not it deserves its own course, I think it's also important to mention uh, the value of using flash fiction in other kinds of classes. Because, um, I mean, we know that for creative writing classes, the easily accessible length is perfect for studying the elements of story structure, as well as developing, critiquing, and workshopping skills. But it's also the perfect size for literature, reading, and even composition classes. It's ideal for portraying descriptive writing, different points of view, tense, narration, uh, and dissecting the elements of literature. For the last three years, I've been using Leah Rogan Roper's story, Elena Wants to Have a Baby, um, to uh, teach rhetoric to composition classes. And this story, it's about a character who gets a secret vasectomy while his young wife is desperately trying to get pregnant, even though they previously agreed to not have children. And both of these characters have their own secret justifications for their uncommunicated actions. So what I do is I have my students write a letter. They have to choose one, one of the characters, either the, uh, the guy with the secret vasectomy or the woman who never communicates, actually, I do want to have children and just stops taking her birth control pills. Um, so I have my students choose one of these characters, and they write a letter to the other character. But what I do is I make them use uh, the modes of persuasion, ethos, pathos, and logos, to do this, and it's just a great way to to get them to use that in a really practical, um, real way. 
And because the story is full of these engaging and realistic characters, everybody immediately jumps on. I mean, they either hate the guy or they understand, you know, well, she's breaking the original pact. Um, but it, they become so passionate about it. And it's because it's good writing. It's because they're really engaging, colorful characters um, that they're able to enter the story um, and dive into these narrative roles. And they end up learning rhetoric in a very contextual and highly effective manner. Um, and I use this, I mean, even in developmental classes with very high-risk populations. And it's something that's so easy for them to engage in. Um, so I have a few other things I wanted to say, but what I'd like to do is, before I move on from that idea, is I'd love to hear from the other panelists ways that they use flash fiction in non-creative writing classes. I mean, how do you use those you know, in literature classes, in composition classes? Uh, if you guys had any other ideas to add, we can use the table mics. Do these work? Yes. They do, I, so. I hear myself. Oh, I use it in lit classes all the time, and for the same reasons I was talking about earlier. Boy, you can just, here's, here are great sentences, and it's the wonderful, I mean, in, in lit classes, I would often do the sophomore survey sorts of lit classes, and you had mostly students who, you know, they're taking the two English classes the university makes them take, and they would take none if they could get away with that. And you know, I, I consider it just a massive victory when in the evaluations, uh, I get something like, he made me think that, he made me realize fiction stories are pretty good. Or, you know, <laughs> something like that. And you've probably gotten those as well. But yeah, I mean, you can just, and, and those sorts of students, well, some of them don't read it. Um, boy, I was naive at the beginning. I thought my students would just read the assignments. And it doesn't always work out that way. But when it's a, a flash fiction, um, they, mostly, they mostly read it. And uh, you can just spend time on a couple of sentences. Or you can slowly read the entire thing, sentence by sentence. And the light bulbs do go on. And say, boy, this stuff's really actually, this is pretty good. And so I just think it's perfect for that sort of thing. this one on. I actually use it quite a bit in composition as well and particularly in developmental or college prep composition for many of the same reasons that Tom's talking about and I don't want to say that students are lazy and I'm supporting their ability to be lazy by reading things to them in class but I think that um, in, in one of the introductions to one of the flash fiction forward books maybe they talk about how today's students are able to work through things, see so much in small spaces. So, you know, uh, I read, a, I read a, res a research paper about how students, when they look at a web page, can decide whether it's high-quality information or not in about five seconds. So just because of looking at the layout and the way information is presented, they're able to make a pretty good judgment about the quality of a website. And I see that same thing happening with flash fiction, that it's something that we can read as a group in class, but there's so much depth to it that I feel like it lends itself really well. I actually teach one of Chim Kim Chinkwe's stories called um, The Gym Was His Playground, 
in my composition class pretty regularly. It's very short. I think it's about the length of the one that Kona read. Um, it's, it's under 100 words. And it has a few very descriptive details that anchor the story. And so I use it to teach description so that we really look at the way you probably all, if you've ever taught composition, you've probably gotten those descriptive papers that don't add up to anything because they're just description on top of description on top of description on top of description because that's what students think descriptive writing is that you want to hear 500 descriptions that don't add up to anything and looking at the way um, a few well anchored descriptions can drive a piece really helps change their perspective about what descriptive writing is and what it means it's also great for voice Teaching boys. Yeah. Um, I was just going to... Oh, did you have something I'll, to add? Please. I'll just add, I think I already said, but uh, sophomore lit classes were... It's a great change of pace. Actually, it, I'd be curious about what uh, mem audience... What they've used Flash for and what courses. But uh, I've used it in classes where you had uh, Tristan and Isolde, uh, legend, uh, maybe a book by uh, longer stories, Jhumpa Lahiri, maybe, and, uh, um, maybe a Victorian novel thrown in there somewhere. But uh, they really, uh, it really juices up a class to have a, you know, a, a unit, a, a block that's uh, flash. And you can all apply so many things that are that they all do. Um, so yeah. Is the sun out? Okay. Um, yeah, and just to add to what Leah was saying, um, I have this idea that, you know, we're using flash fiction because uh, we're letting our students be lazy. It's not that at all. I mean, in reality, that's what we are using in the classes because it's better to have a quality piece that we can talk about and we can really dissect um, than to have something, assign something that's 30 pages long and have two of the students read it. Um, I personally would rather read the story to them in class and make sure that each and every one of them are understanding the reason for that. Um, and the reason why we use it in class is because it's organic. It's natural to have assignments that are three to five pages long, both in writing classes, um, because that's what we can ingest in the classroom when we do a workshop together. Um, and what happens, um, I think Robert maybe had mentioned this before, um, that uh, the idea of being able to fail better. But what happens is that students will try more. I mean, they're not as afraid to write a story in three different ways. Um, Tom gave us a great prompt for that handout uh, to write the same story from two different point of views or to take the same story and write it in 250 words and then 500 words and 750 words. And when you're dealing with a short form, you can become an expert a lot faster. You can really hone your skills. You can try things out. When I tell a student, I want you to rewrite this whole story and it was only two pages long, they'll do it, you know, and just having it be um, action. I mean, I think that's what, if I had a word to describe flash fiction, I don't know, it might be something like, you know, it's, it's so active. I mean, people can just dive in and, and get their, their hands dirty with it. Um, 
And I, I had a couple other questions for the panelists. I wanted to just sort of engage in the conversation. Um, I wanted to leave a little time if you guys had some questions as well. Um, but, uh, I mean, one of the questions, if we're ever going to be able to have flash fiction as its own uh, course, is we would have to be able to distinguish it from fiction. And I think that's really tricky. As Leah was saying, it's like trying to get a course for just haiku instead of having that be an element of a poetry class. So I wanted to see if any of the pan panelists had a good argument for uh, being able to distinguish it as its own course, more so than, you know, in reality, that's what we're using in our fiction classes anyway, is flash fiction. We're just calling it fiction. Since I have never taught a, a flash fiction course, but earlier, entirely a flash fiction course, earlier I saw a number of hands of folks who had. So maybe this would be a sure. really good time yeah. to, to open things up. And how did it work? How did you get the... Um, administration or whatever to say that sounds great um sure mentioned this this other whole cultural background that I sort of touched on um, because I do think that in Asian and Persian cultures and Hispanic cultures as well there's this huge background of flash what we're now calling flash fiction that has been around for millennium but under different names and I will say without um, really answering too much about the genre question because I think that's a huge question but I would say if you're interested in teaching flash fiction or in finding out more about the distinctions between the genres um, Rose Metal Press's Guide to Flash Fiction is the best book out there and I'm so glad they put it out in terms of having pedagogical essays about the origins of flash fiction and the history and the terminology and it really is a great guide for teaching any kind of flash fiction. Oh, let's go to that. 
the ways that I was trying to expand, like, like trying to get illustration to like take the course is um, I talked about how there's overlap with like history and religion and like, cultural studies, and so like I actually proposed it as like a course that for various students majors, it's part of like a writing certificate endeavor that my university is trying to do. Um, I just said like you know also technology because like you know the discussion about like the trend of flash fiction, but it's also you know it's coming in both partially because of like technology. So just trying to like, you know say like well students studying all these different spheres, like all these different majors, could possibly have this like, overlapping interest in microfiction. Um, so that was a way that I'm hoping will catch the administrative attention and like, they'll see that it actually applies yeah. to more And you could say in this information age, uh, people want to process information quickly in all these different majors. Yeah, uh, and also, I also said that like, you know, also, you know, students wanting to write like, a lot of like learning to compress information, like you know, writing like incredibly rich and effective, like you know, like, packing a lot of stuff into like mm. their language. Like I, I mean, it's a, an applicable. I mean, everybody can learn how to do yeah. that, like, regardless of what you're studying. Effective writing. Sure. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. just trying to make it. Just trying to. That's something that I did. I'm hoping. Yeah. <laughs> Another thing is uh, just uh, besides diversity and things that have been mentioned, uh, uh, demand. Uh, I know creative writing is pretty well held in there, you know, with, at least at my university, half the English majors wanted to be creative writers, so we had a lot of demand, and then uh, administrations respect that, you know, we've got to answer this demand. Mm -hmm. So why not, okay, we've already got a, a fiction class, a poetry class, we'll come up with a uh, studies in creative writing, is what we did. Uh, so the other people in the creative writing committee could sort of get on board, you know, you'll be able to do your course at some point but you you can rotate you can uh, um, but so we got a, uh, a sudden fiction flash fiction course that was since we kind of got this going you know we sort of got got to be there first and uh, but we had to um, give it up every now and then somebody wanted to do special course in poetry or whatever but uh, it gave you more uh, flexibility in the creative writing department what things kind of things you could teach um, so that's one idea, another idea. I think yours is great. Yeah, and we'll probably have time for another question here in a sec, but I just wanted to mention that if anybody is interested in seeing some of the anthologies listed on that uh, recommendation list, uh, we have a couple over there that Tom edited. Uh, we have the fast forward. We have three of the anthologies you can look at. And we have a table of, um, if you wanted to be able to go and flip through uh, the, the fast forward anthologies anyway. It's N12. Yeah, N12 in the book fair. I think it's southeast. Um, so, yeah, I think we have time for one more question. Uh, please. Um, I saw that you had, uh, under the recommended uh, stories, one of them was The Colonel by Carol Dorshay. I know that uh, some people might consider that to be a prose poem. So I was wondering how um, you might distinguish between a prose poem and a piece of flash fiction. To do their I think they've done AWB panels on that, yeah. and it's a great idea. Um, well, let's. We had to contravene the uh, intent of the author because the author calls it a prose poem, um, the Colonel. Um, but we thought it was a we thought it was a, a a short story that that definitely it's a there's a there's a real sense of a character a a a, a narrator who um, who changes. 
I mean, that's the thing that that sort of traditional thing that I I'm a traditionalist in most ways. I mean, for a story to feel done, usually there's a sense of that feeling that at least one character, you know, things will never be quite the same again for that character. And I certainly feel that for um, the person who witnesses the several people above me, her, her perspective, who, who you know, who witness the that guy, the colonel, and what happens that night. That's a life-changing experience. And so it, there's a real sense of epiphany, big deal change. Sure feels like a story to me. Yeah, we get that question a lot at Fast Forward, um, you know, do you accept prose poems, you know, what do you, how do you distinguish flash fiction from prose poetry, um, and usually what we say is we just don't deal with white space in our books, so if it's uh, a prose block, you could submit it, and um, as far as prose po- poetry, um, I mean, yeah, like Tom said, it has to feel complete, it doesn't necessarily have to do any one particular thing with a character, um, but in the end, we more than anything at Fast Forward, we want to feel like it's complete. We want to feel like we've been told something, you know, some event, emotion, moment, story has been conveyed. Uh, it feels complete. It can certainly be poetic and full of, you know, lovely ambiguity uh, as long as it gets the job done. I mean, it's one of those things, you just know it when you see it. <laughs> so... There's um, Kim Chinkwe would argue that uh, prose poem and flash fiction are the same thing, or at least they overlap enough, which would kind of obviate the, the argument. There's an article in uh, the Chronicle, AWP Chron, no, it's, what's it called now? <laughs> the writer uh, by Ron Wallace, who takes up that issue, and uh, if uh, maybe James will, uh, will hang around a little bit, uh, knows a lot about that story and and the writer, and so on. But it's, uh, it's, debate, it's debatable. I'd say make up your mind and stick by it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think that's our time. But thank you all so much for coming, and appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in to the AWP podcast series. For other podcasts, please visit our website at www.awpwriter.org.